Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders to kick this one off. Received a nice little package in the mail on Friday, the latest expansion pack for the Keeper cards. Now, I don't promote a lot of stuff because I'm not into that, honestly. So if I do mention something, it's because I find it interesting or because I know folks that follow my channel or the podcast or the website have also shown some interest. And there was a lot of interest in these when they first came out. I believe it was about a year ago. I probably should have looked up the date. But he did the first set of it. He had contacted me at one point and said he had thought about doing collectible tarantula cards and I thought a my first thought was my god why didn't anybody think of that before it sounds like an amazing idea and then my second thought was to be just kind of like baseball cards maybe some dull backs on them or I, I don't know what I was picturing but what he produced was much more beautiful and collectible than I even anticipated we did the video on the first set I have the first set I love them I keep them like a, a typical collector in mint condition like I don't have them out and about where the kids can get to them or anything because I do have that collector gene in me, and they were a huge hit. We did the Kickstarter campaign with it, and it was very successful, so a lot of people got the cards out, and I've had people asking me here and there, hey, do you know if he's going to do any new ones? He's going to do an expansion pack, and that was always the plan, so they were very successful. They now He now has the expansion pack ready up on Kickstarter. It's called The Big, The Bad, and The Bold. Once again, we're looking at, I believe, six like keeper cards with kind of basic information on it. And then there are the actual spider cards, which have things like where the spider from, max size, moisture requirements, just some basic husbandry notes. Now, again, I would not use these. I had people last time that would pick up the cards and, and go, all right, so this is all I need for husbandry for these. No, they're like a springboard. They're a great place to start off with just some idea of where the spider comes from, some basic husbandry tips. But obviously, like with anything, including my own material, use it as a springboard if you're interested in that species to go out and do some research and find out more husbandry information on. But they are gorgeous. Again, he his layout on them is fantastic. This time around, there are also foil cards. Now, my son, Kale collects the Pokemon cards, and I think it's the EX ones. I, I'm not as versed in them as I probably should be, but there are these foil cards that when he gets packs, he's always excited when he gets one. So now there are foil cards for these, and they basically center around certain YouTube personalities and a spider that they chose. They look fantastic. They're brilliant, gorgeous-looking cards. And so some of the rewards were if you join the Kickstarter campaign, one of them, I believe, is that you get one of those cards, which are quite cool. There's a binder for them, so if you don't want to display them in the box, now I'm holding the box in my hand and the box itself is fantastic for me I just have them in the box however I saw that they have this beautiful binder that you can put them in and you can basically put them in sections with old world new worlds ones you have so as he builds these out and comes up with more expansion packs you in theory could have a whole book full of just the spiders that you own there's also a new t-shirt style stickers it's just the coolest campaign ever I thought the last one was amazing he pulled out all the stops, and it's got, it's even improved this time around. And uh, the packaging, when it comes in, I, I wish I could describe it. I'm not going to do it justice, but if you want to hop over, I am going to post a video later on this afternoon that will have my little unboxing of these. And it's just, it's, it's gorgeous. The whole presentation is just so top-notch, so quality. Again, I encourage anybody interested, just pop over. You'll see what I'm talking about with the site. Now, the one question I have had from people and I have to ask about is whether or not there'll be any of the first series back available. Because what happens is most people want the original deck so that they can add the expansion pack to it. And folks that are just finding out for this for the first time, unfortunately, I'm not sure how to get a hold, how they would get a hold of the original deck. But for me, awesome cool i'm gonna have them you know, i have them right now the, my box is kept in the tarantula room when we move we will have a spot where they'll be in there too i continue i will continue to collect them so this this is something that i'm interested in i've also helped out a little bit where i've looked over the spreadsheets with some of the information on them so 
again, something I've been involved with for a little while, something I really enjoy. So those of you that are interested, feel free to go check it out. Those of you who are not, completely understand. Again, I'm not here to sell anybody anything, just to raise awareness for those who might be interested in what I find to be kind of a cool thing. All right, so now on to the main part of this podcast. This time around, we'll be talking about Aspire that probably a lot of people don't have, but I've gotten some questions on, and I did promise when I picked up my two that I would keep people updated on. So today, we'll spend a little time talking about Birupi's Cymaroxagorum, which is a spider that there is some controversy around, and I will get into that at the end of this. I was kind of hoping to have some extra information, but it didn't pan out. But anyway, I'll, I'll share that story. But anyway, I picked these guys up from Fear Not Transfer. This was part of my, my birthday box that Billy got me uh, in February. And it was basically two 0.5-inch to 0.75-inch B. Cymaroxagorum slings. And at the time I picked them up, there really wasn't a heck of a lot on them out there. I believe this was, I, I want to say this was the first time they were available in the U.S. And it was a spider that I knew she was getting in. I was curious about. Again, I don't usually run out and grab the big trophy spiders. I try to avoid them. And it, it, a lot of it comes down to the fact that, and this is going to bear out with the Cymaroxagorum, when you get a spider that's brand new to the hobby, I always worry about where they're coming from. That's always been a big issue. And supposedly these were captive bred slings. I started thinking, all right, people are going to be picking them up in the U.S. There's good, there's going to be a need for husbandry information on them. So why don't I pick a couple up and be able to kind of track the husbandry on for folks that hopefully later on down the line, if these are bred more and get more into the hobby, they will have something to go by. Because I know what it's like to go out and buy a spider that there's not a lot on. You kind of worry about it. You worry if you're keeping it right. And then although it shouldn't matter how much they cost, when you drop several hundred dollars on a, a particular spider, it hurts even more if you lose one. Again, it shouldn't matter. I've always said it, it bothers me if it's a $5 spider, if it's a $500 spider, I'm going to be upset if I lose it. I don't care. However, I think it's you know human nature. If you spend that much money on something and it dies, you're going to be extra heartbroken over it. So Again, I usually don't do husbandry guides, or I try not to do husbandry guides until I've raised the spider at least to young adulthood. My theory is at that point, it shows that whatever I'm doing is probably working for me rather well. They've made it to young adulthood from slings, and that's probably good information. I don't usually like to jump on right away and go, all right, here's how I got it set up, because you never know. I could have something set up wrong. I may come up, I may find more information later on that goes against how I was keeping them. Whatever the case may be, I like to wait a little bit. With these guys, it's been 10 or 11 months or so, and they're putting on size quickly. So I feel confident that what's, you know, I think they've molted four and five times each. So they're doing well. But again, I will do an update on this once they hit young adulthood, because that will be the complete husbandry guide going, look at, we got them as little teeny slings. They're beautiful adults now. We were successful. But I've had people ask me about them because I think more so overseas, I haven't seen them in the U.S. And please correct me if I'm wrong. And if you're following the podcast, post something on Facebook to let people know, because I'm sure there'll be some people asking about them. I haven't seen a lot more of them in the U.S. I think the ones in the U.S. sold out rather quickly. But hopefully, again, these from what I've gathered, and I will talk about this a bit as we get into this, they're a very fast-growing species. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if we some of the people that just bought these slings back in February weren't able to breed them early next year or mid next year so that we should see more of them in the hobby soon and I hope so because they're absolutely gorgeous spiders and I have a big fear that some of the ones we see right now being sold across the world are actually ones that have been poached out of the wild so again we'll get back to that I want to get into this part of it first so First pair, we ended up putting in the little 13, size 13 plastic dram bottles. I believe they're about an inch and a quarter by 2.75 
0.5 inches tall or so. They were rather small when I got them. I want to say 0.5 inches to 0.75 inches. I don't think they were a full three quarters of an inch. They were really small guys. But both of them went into the vials. We put the BioDude substrate in. I've been using that stuff. I didn't use it as slings for first, but I find it to be safe. And it's like when I end up grabbing for something, I used to have my own mix. I've been kind of throwing that stuff in. So anything could work. You could use peat. You could use... Obviously, cocoa fiber, you're just going to want to make sure you keep it moist. A variety of different mixtures will work, but that's just what I use for them. I also put a pinch of New Zealand sphagnum moss in there. Again, the regular moss, sphagnum moss will work. I like the New Zealand stuff. I've been using it for a couple of years now. I just It's more absorbent. I haven't had any mold issues with it. Use whatever works for you, but you put a little of that in there, nice moist substrate, and then I use the back of a paintbrush to make starter burrows for both of them. Now, in both instances, when I rehoused them, they went in, they kind of kind of adapted to the starter burrows. I expected them to do a lot more digging, but they kind of just webbed up in the starter burrows, webbed up outside of the starter burrows, and kind of more often than not were close to the surface when I fed them, which I found interesting because I'm thinking, you know, your typical Asian arboreals, they're going to bury themselves down quite a bit. They're going to stay hidden most of the time. No, these guys have been out quite a lot, which is great because they're a gorgeous little spider and it allowed me to keep track of them. So both of them adapted to their, you know, burrows, so to speak. They kind of filled, one of them, I, I made a burrow that basically went all the way down to the bottom for it with the back of the paintbrush, and it went through and filled most of it in, kept just kind of this little recess in the side. So something to, uh, to note when you get them, I've talked to other people that keep them. One guy said that his actually did a bit more burrowing. The other guy said he saw the same thing that mine have done. So just something to keep an eye on. I, I don't think it really impacts how you would keep the spider any, but again, just passing over some of my observations with them so one thing you need to be aware of with these guys they are very very fast there's a video out there on youtube of them bolting around when i went to rehouse mine i kind of i we do the control release kind of thing where i expect the spider to get out and run around a little bit and then we cup it when it slows down but know that they are very 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 quick i had one bolt out of it, it was like in a blink of an eye i went to feed them and i dropped the prey item in and it bolted out the prey item ended up going out of the enclosure it bolted out caught the prey item going down the side of the enclosure and it was back in the enclosure in a wink a blink of an eye it was unbelievably fast so you need to keep that in mind when working with these i do encourage people when doing rehousings with them to do them inside another container to make sure that they're corralled i like to use a little like plastic sterilite container and i do the rehousing in there i also like to put paper towels in the corners of them because basically what happens when the spider goes and bolts a lot of times what they do is they'll keep looping the container and they won't slow down for a bit if you put a paper towel or something there can hide under, it'll reach that paper towel, it'll feel secure for a moment, and it'll hide out there, and it'll allow you to kind of take a deep breath, regroup, remove the paper towel, and hopefully cup the spider. So just a little tip, and this actually, I'll get to this in a moment, but when we rehoused them recently, I finally caught this on video because I've been doing it for years, and people will ask, why do you have the crumpled up paper towels in the corner? I'll explain it. Well, it was the first time the one got out bolted around the enclosure, went right underneath the paper towel and stopped and it allowed us to kind of talk for a second and regroup. So feeding wise, when I started off feeding them, I was feeding them chopped up mealworms. We'd take little mealworms, a little razor blade, cut them up into sections, put those in, and they were scavenge feeding with no problem whatsoever. They were kind of tiny when I had them, and I didn't have – what I would have – if I had them, what I probably would have fed them is small red runner or bilateralis nymphs, but at the time I didn't have any, so we went to the – cut up mealworms and they work great they scavenge fed off them they fed they would basically if you put in a big one like one time i dropped in two sections and it was probably a little too big for the spider it was basically eating that for a full 24 hours and went right into pre-mold so keep in mind 
that if you feed your spider larger meals, they're likely to go into pre-molt much more quickly. I do have people a lot that get slings. They freak out because like I dropped in, uh, you know, I have a, a one inch sling and I dropped in a large mealworm and it hasn't eaten again. Well, that's because it filled up in one shot. That is possible. So these guys, I will say not only filled up in one shot in some cases, but they had a very quick pre-molt period. A lot of times if you fatten them up, the pre-molt period becomes longer. These guys have been molting machines. As I mentioned earlier, one has molted five times already. One has molted four times already. That's a pretty good amount of molts for a 10 month period. So the growth rate for these guys has been absolutely fantastic. And what should be noted is I've had people tell me they didn't want to get them because they heard they require extra heat. Now I picked these guys up in February, which is the middle of winter here. And my tarantula room was probably about eh, 73 degrees Fahrenheit or 23 degrees Celsius for most of the winter on the shelf that they were on. So that isn't particularly high temperatures. Now, if you dropped it down to say 68, 70, you'd probably get slower growth rate. But in the lower 70s, they were growing quite fast. Then the summer came around. They went from, it, it, it's usually about 78 to 80 degrees Fahrenheit in there or 26 degrees to 27 degrees Celsius in the tarantula room. It can get a little higher. A couple days we hit 82 or so. So it's a little bit on the warmer side. I didn't see any real change in growth rate. They kind of just continued to grow really well. It's been kind of astounding how often they molt. It's been very impressive, which again, when you have a spider that you've spent a decent amount of money on, you want to get it out of that sling stage as quickly as possible. So there's nothing keepers like to hear when they spend that much money on a spider that A, they're going to have their big, beautiful adult earlier than they might with another species, which is a huge plus, but B, it's going to grow out of that sling stage rather quickly so they can start feeling a little more confident in their husbandry and start feeling a little more confident that they're not going to end up with a dead spider. Now, for folks who want to get these guys, obviously the big attraction is their blue legs. I noticed that mine got started getting some of that blue around the one and a quarter inch mark or so. At that point, you're just seeing like if you get them under a light, you'll just start seeing some blue hues underneath. So know that around the one, I'd say 1.25 inch marks, I'm not sure that's around probably three centimeters or so, two and a half centimeters, you'll start seeing some of that blue and then it starts getting, you know, more and more vibrant with every molt after that. So the slings did great. After a while, I did actually start dropping in the nymphs. I got the red runner nymphs. Mine had a bunch this summer. So we started throwing the little ones in and they were having no problem hunting them down. We we had a couple cases where I dropped the nymph in and it buried itself and these things dug it right out. But again, a lot of webbing in their little tunnel, a lot of webbing on the surface. More often than not, when you go to check on them, they're sitting right on the top of the substrate, which is great. So my juveniles, once my first specimen hit about that 1.25 inch mark or so, I figured it was time for a rehouse. Uh, these guys had become a bit more bold and skittish once they put on some size. When they were little, they'd kind of just go right to their little hole and hide. As adults, sometimes I'd take that top off of that enclosure and or top off of that dram bottle and they'd sit right on the surface for a bit. They wouldn't immediately run away. So got a little more bold. And what ended up happening was I was... <laughs> We were sitting here watching a movie and I had this terrible habit of I will walk out in the other room and remember I was supposed to feed a spider and I remembered I hadn't fed these guys. So I took one of them out, took the top off the little dram bottle and I didn't realize how big it was at this point. And I took a roach in, a little red runner roach and dropped it in. Well, when I dropped the roach in, it startled the spider and the spider actually bolted out of the enclosure and was hanging right on the side. So I realized uh, at that point, the spider was way too big for that dram bottle. There was no way I was getting it back in the dram bottle. 
but I wasn't planning on doing a rehousing. It was like 9.30 at night and I was actually watching a movie. I just kind of stepped out from it and I figured I'd be right back in. So I'm like, what am I going to do now? How am I going to get the spider in there? So basically what I did was I took a plastic cup and set it over top of the spider that was hanging on the outside of the dram bottle. And then I had to figure out how to get that up and into a basin so I could do my rehousing. It was a bit of a nightmare. It took forever. We finally got the tarantula, the cup, the enclosure and everything into the basin. I did the rehousings in. I set up an enclosure and we got it in. But it was like a, a major screw up on my part because that's why you don't do that in the middle of the night and try to rush it. I should have recognized that the spider was too big for the enclosure. I should have recognized that by dropping that prey item in, I could startle it. There you go. Luckily, it all turned out okay and we got it into the new house. So what we ended up using for the enclosure for the inch and a quarter specimen was a four by four by 3.5 inch high. I believe that's 10, around 10 by 10 by nine centimeters, clear acrylic boxes. They're ones used at like display cars in or something. And I put several rolls of rows of ventilation holes around the sides using my Dremel and included a couple inches of moist substrate, cork bark hide with, again, a starter burrow underneath, some New England sphagnum moss, and again, use whatever kind of moss you want to use, and a little bottle cap water dish. And then I basically put the spider in there. Once again, it did very little digging. It kind of just adapted to the starter burrow I had already created for it. It dug a little bit out the back so I can actually look underneath. It took the, the substrate out away from the sides. So I can actually look in and see the spider at all times, webbed up the area inside there, webbed up around the enclosure quite a bit, but once again, didn't do a whole heck of a lot of digging. I anticipated this was going to be a fossorial tarantula, like full fossorial, like one that you wouldn't see very often at all, but so far I'm not getting that. Now, again, for those of you that have these guys, please report in on the, chime in on Facebook, chime in on the video if you can, tell people what you're seeing, because this could just be mine. I recognize I've only got two spiders. That's not a large enough sample by any stretch of the imagination to make the call that these guys aren't digging as much as I would you know, you would expect, but feel free to chime in if you have information about yours that's different from what I'm seeing. I would love to hear it. So once again, it continued to be a good eater at this point. I've been feeding it kind of small B lateralis roaches, which it seems I will note, I will mention that some of my spiders, if I catch them out and drop a prey at them in, they go right at the prey at them. There isn't any hesitation. Like I'm thinking my Formictopus, I'm thinking my Zenesta species, a lot of different spiders. You drop, you catch them out in the open, you drop prey at them and they go right for it. These guys, I did notice are a little bit shy. So if you catch them out in the open, drop a prey at them in, I've literally had them tiptoe over top of the prey item and completely avoid it. I will put them back on the shelf where it's a little bit dark and, you know, obviously not as much commotion going around. And when I come back later on, they've caught the prey item and eaten. So just a heads up, I've noticed this pretty consistently with both of my specimens. So again, you have some that'll grab it basically right out of the tongs. You have other ones that seem to be a little freaked out. They, they, I don't know, they get performance anxiety. They don't want to eat right in front of some big giant human, you know, looming over them. So just keep in mind, that's something that I have seen with mine. So even if the spider doesn't seem to jump immediately at the prey item, this is one I'd leave it in there for a few hours, come back later on and check on it because I just literally fed my other one yesterday dropped the roach in she tiptoed over it it ran back over she walked over it again she completely avoided it It was like she didn't want anything to do with it we came back a few hours later and she was munching away at it so just a heads up with that now again very fast spider and once they hit this size they are super fast so if you check if you do check out the video with them if it's something you're interested in seeing you know what they look like or what i'm talking about you'll see one of them get out and kind of loop around and that's where the paper towel actually works. So it was great that we were able, were able to show that off. 
But again, this is a very pricey spider, and I don't think people want it getting out in their house and losing it that way. So use all necessary precautions when rehousing these. Again, I do a lot of rehousing videos, and I try to show how the rehousings can be calm, what you do if one does get out, how to keep things under control. But it's always important to make sure you have a setup that allows you to corral the spider should it escape. I've seen videos where people are doing it on their beds or doing it with like laundry on the floor. That's just a recipe for disaster because the spider is going to go to the first thing it can hide underneath, which may be your pair of jeans. It may be your shoes. You don't want a situation like that where now you have a venomous animal hiding out somewhere in your room that probably won't, you're not going to get hurt by it. But you're very likely to, you know, there is a possibility that you step on the animal, that you accidentally crush the animal, that it is eaten and devoured by a house spider. Nobody wants that. So be cautious when dealing with these guys. So I have gone ahead and moved both of them into one of those containers. Now we moved the other one, the, uh, I believe last weekend, and they're both doing well. They've settled in. Expect some webbing. I would give, I, I would say, honestly, again, anticipating what I'm going to put these guys into, I believe it is a smaller species. I believe they get to about, be about four inches or so. And I'm looking at something around probably the five, three to five gallon mark. We'll see how it goes. But I am thinking with the adults, if they do continue this behavior where they hang out on more on the surface and do some webbing on the surface, it's going to be important to give them an enclosure that offers not only some depth of substrate should they want to dig, but offers some depth above the substrate, some space above the substrate. So if they start webbing, you don't have a situation where every time you open up the enclosure to do feeding or maintenance, you're ripping all that webbing up and start the spider. So looking ahead, I will probably give it something that offers probably, yeah, we'll say three inches, three to four inches of substrate, but also at least four inches above the substrate so that they have room to web. I will probably give them something with anchor points so they can do some webbing around it. We'll see how it goes. But so far, my first impressions are on them are they are very hardy. They seem to be very hardy. They do appreciate, and I got to make this clear because I don't know if I did earlier, I do keep the substrate moist. I don't go overboard. I keep the lower levels moist, allow the top to dry up a little bit. Again, it helps to cut down on undesirable mold and stuff like that. But I found that that's worked great with them. So don't overdo it. Don't get them and soak the substrate. Remember the top, it's not important, as important for the top to be wet. You don't want it superficially wet. You want it to soak down through. So the spider, if it does need to find moisture, what it will do is dig and burrow to reach that moisture, allowing the top to stay relatively dry and keep from, you know, growing mold and stuff that you don't want in your tarantula enclosure. So I've kept right now with, they're in the three by the four by four by three inch ones. I moisten those every, basically every time I do a feeding, I fill the water dish. I check to see if the line that demarks the moist lower levels of moist substrate is going down too far. If it looks like it's getting too low, I add a little moisture to it. That's about it. And again, the misting doesn't really do anything unless you're trying to soak down that sphagnum moss to give them a separate place to drink because it evaporates too quickly. You want to kind of pour it down those edges to make sure it seeps on down through. But they're eating great. They're growing quickly. They're beautiful spiders. I've had people ask me, are they worth the money? I can't make that decision for you. For me, so far, they have been. I mean, they've been growing well. They're beautiful spiders. Hopefully, I get a female and I could do some pairing of them because I would love to get these more established in the hobby. But it's it's when the expensive spiders, when people are like, I'm not spending that kind of money, I don't blame you. For years and for many different species, I have ha hung back and waited for the prices to go down. I've waited for people that picked up the first ones to breed them and get more out there so that the prices go down a bit. I totally understand. However, I also get that they're 
are going to be a spider that people see on YouTube, that they see pictures of, they see them for sale and decide, hey, I need to have this. And my goal is to make sure that you have the correct husbandry information for them so that you can raise yours up to be healthy adults. And once again, hopefully you end up, if you end up with a male, you send off the breed. If you end up with a female, you find yourself a male. And we get these guys established in the hobby because as I alluded to in the beginning of the podcast on this on this species in particular, there is a lot of controversy around them right now. They were first described in February 2019 and pictures were all over the internet. I actually found out about it from an actual news article, but not usually, you know, a lot of times I find out about new spiders and stuff because I'm on arachnoboards or I see something on, post up on Facebook, but I was on the regular news and this came up, this beautiful spiders. And then before you knew it, they were in the hobby, and I'm talking about a matter of months. So it was kind of a sketchy situation. Now, what's happening right now is supposedly the specimens that were collected to study to make this identification were harvested by, I, I believe it was two or three people that had found them and wanted them looked at. They had they sent dead specimens over. They supposedly had the paperwork to collect these guys. They were described, and as soon as they were described, they started being offered up for sale, supposedly captive-bred specimens on the European market. Now, the problem is the Forest Department of Sarawak, which is the place that they actually, the state they actually come from, stated that the specimens used for identification were in fact collected illegally, and none, none of the appropriate paperwork was ever signed or filled out. They didn't have the necessary legal permits to pull these spiders out. So basically what that means, if true, was that the original ones that were studied and pulled out of the country were poached. That means the ones that were sold on the market afterwards were either poached or they were basically babies from specimens that were poached. So basically not a good look for the hobby at all. And this is one of the things, this is one of the reasons I avoid spiders that are sold right after being identified or shortly after being identified. Because again, a lot, and we've discussed this before, the majority of spiders that we have in the hobby, even the ones that have been established for years in the pet trade at one point came from specimens that were poached from the wild. And we don't like to think about it much, and it's easy to kind of distance ourselves from it with some of the species that are very common because we know for a fact they're being bred here, they're not being pulled out. But it's still a huge issue. The poaching is still a huge issue across the world. Even though we may be selling the majority of our spiders are captive bred, and you can trace them to the parents who are also captive bred, they came from somewhere. And I will say, when I posted up my original video with the unboxing of these guys and housing them, I had people from Sarawak, I believe it's Sarawak, Sarah. Sarawak, if I mispronounce it, I totally apologize. But I had people from that very region talk about how there are still folks coming in and taking those spiders and leaving, that they catch people down there hunting for those spiders. There are still ones that are probably being taken out of the wild and sold to the pet market. That's not good at all. And when you have a situation where a spider is just literally described, oh my gosh, we have this new specimen has been described, and then a few months later, they're for sale, that looks terribly on the, it, it just—it's a terrible look for the hobby. It makes—it raises a lot of you know eyebrows as far as fish and wildlife and other places that are trying to protect these species. It's going to send off the alarms. Like, wait a minute, we just found this thing, and now the tarantula hobby is out there selling them for hundreds of dollars each. It's—it's it's a messy situation. So that's why I gave so much thought to procuring these in the first place because I don't like having something that there's this much 
controversy around, but then I started thinking, all right, if I can breed them, hopefully we can get them over here. We won't have to worry about any more of them being pulled from the wild. I don't know. It's a, it's a tough situation. I did have somebody chime in on the video saying that they know one of the people that had found these guys, one of the ones that had pulled the specimens from the wild, and that he thought it was all done on the up and up. I asked to try to get a hold and touch with this individual, and he did. He told me the name. It did jive with the name that was in the paper. And unfortunately, I have not heard from him yet. It's been about a week and a half, so I don't know if I will hear from them. But I was hoping to speak to somebody that was involved in grabbing these guys from the wild in the first place because maybe they could put my mind. I, I don't know why if they didn't produce these papers to the government or to the you know reporters that were asking about them, why they would give them to me or show me that, yes, indeed, we did do this correctly. I was hoping, though, that maybe they would come forward going, oh, this is a big misunderstanding. We do have the paperwork. Here it is. I don't know. But it didn't pan out. Unfortunately, I was kind of hoping to have that one done. But I did. I will try to contact this individual again and see if maybe we can maybe set something up. I would just love an answer one way or another. So I will try to continue to pursue that because I think it would definitely make an interesting addition to the article and a little addendum to this podcast. But I'm not holding out hope. So we'll see. So anyway, that is what I've got so far on the Birupis, Cymoroxagorum, which by the way, the last name Cymoroxagorum was, I believe it's made up of the first names of the guys who discovered its kids. So the first one's Simon, I think Roxanne, and then Igor. So Cymoroxagorum is how they came up with the name for that. So fun little tidbit there, and you can hold that against somebody that tries to tell you you're not pronouncing it correctly in Latin because it's just made up of a bunch of first names. So that's sometimes where the Latin names fall apart or the scientific names when they're just made up from, you know, names that aren't necessarily Latin in nature or in origin. So that's what I got so far in these guys. I will continue to raise these up. I will continue to do updates on them once they are large enough. Hopefully I end up with a female. I would love to breed them and get more of them out there. And if I'm being honest, no, I'm not all that. I'm, I'm still not 100% okay with the fact that I have them. It's, it's something I wrestle with, which you can probably tell by the nature of this podcast. It's not like, hey, yay, they're super rare. I don't care if they're taken out of the wild. I have them. It's more like I have them. I made the decision, but I can't ignore the fact that this is one of those species. Like, you know, when I think of right off the bat is the T. Celadonia, another one that was like discovered. All of a sudden it was in the hobby, caused a bunch of controversy. It's, it's difficult being a hobbyist, loving these spiders, loving the fact that, you know, looking out there at some of these beautiful species going, I want to own these. But then at the same time, you have to acknowledge the kind of dirty nature of where they come from. And it's not because somebody goes in there usually and legally gets a permit to pull a certain number of them out of the wild. It's usually because people are sneaking them out of the country, smuggling them out, breeding them to make a buck on it. Let's not ever lose track of that. So are there good points of it? Yes, this could be one of those situations where years down the road, the only place that these exist are in collections. That's one of the things hobbyists, you know, we tell ourselves, and I believe there's some truth to it, to make ourselves feel better about the fact that we're keeping some of these species that are currently d diminishing in the wild. But at the same time, we have to remember that this still happens. They are still pulling them. Even some of the established species are still being pulled out and smuggled to other countries. I won't get into it, but there are certain countries now where the trade is technically illegal, yet they basically ship a bunch of smuggle a bunch of them in it was just in the news recently that they found a bunch in a shoe so they are still being taken out of the wild 
This is still an issue. Let's not pretend like it's not. There was again, I point to that Tarantula Canada video where he picked up a what ended up being a gravid P. metallica female that sounds like it was never paired with anybody. It sounds like it was a wild caught specimen. That's horrendous. So this is something we always have to keep in the back of our minds. We can't just allow ourselves to get above it and be like, hey, we're the saviors of tarantulas. We're going to have the only tarantulas on planet Earth someday in our collections. We can't just take that approach. We have to be cognizant of the fact that we are still in some ways part of the problem. So there, I'll get off my soapbox, but it's something that bothers, and, and again, I only put this out there because it bothers me personally. Like I can't, I wish I could get to a point where it's just like, hey, I have spiders, who cares where they come from? But I always have in the back of my mind because I do get stories from people. The worst is when you get it from people that actually live in the regions where they're being taken from. And I have received many over the years from people. I had one about the Hanama Velisamica, uh, the... P. Metallica, people that actually live in the region that can tell you they've seen people out there collecting these spiders. That's scary to me. So again, off my soapbox, awesome species. If you can find them, I do encourage you to make sure they're from a reputable source. Ask where they come from. If you ever have a doubt, ask where the offspring come from. Most dealers will be able to tell you exactly where they can. Yes, these came from captive bred adults. If you're not comfortable with the response, if you're not comfortable feeling like you know that they came from captive bred specimens, if you get a response that isn't what you were looking for, then I would suggest move on and don't buy them. That's going to be the trick there to not put yourself in a situation where you're knowingly feeding into the illegal trade of these animals. So that's it for the Cimaroxagorum. Again, for folks wanting to check them out, for anything you take away from this, they are very hardy. They're great eaters. They grow quickly. So if you do spend that kind of money on them, you're probably going to be very impressed with the growth rate. You're going to grow them out of that sling stage quickly. And before you know it, they'll be sporting some of those blues, which mine are starting to show them off. And they really are just amazing, just beautiful spiders. So Moving on to the final mini topic, I just have to share this one because we just did an episode about some of the questions I get and the fact that people go on videos that I produced or mention podcasts that I have and then ask questions that were covered in the podcast. Well, I had an interesting one the other day where basically, and I'm going to encapsulate here because I didn't feel like digging up the email again, but somebody said they watch all my videos, they listen to the podcast, and they're setting up their first pokey communal. So my first thing was like, uh-oh, wait a minute. That's because anybody that's listening to the podcast knows I'm kind of steering away from the pokey communal now. They're... As soon as we can get them, they've been doing well, but as soon as we get them apart, I am breaking the P. metallica communal apart and, and keeping them separately. At the very least, I'll have a bunch of breeding pairs later on or some point. But I, I've come to the conclusion that it can work. Uh, it, they do live together to a point, but we're forcing the issue. I don't like the fact that we have to force the issue. So I was kind of surprised when the guy was like, yeah, I heard what you said, and I'm putting together my own one. I'm like, okay, well, you know, they're probably going to ask for advice. Well, what he was doing is he already had a young adult, I believe it was P. Regalis, and he was dropping in a couple of P. Regalis slings with the young adult. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I don't understand sometimes how, like, it, it worries me because I feel like I'm responsible because I put stuff out there about, you know, bottom line, I put together a communal with a piece of Litharia species. I think a lot of people saw that. And unfortunately, as much as I tried to say, like, listen, I've heard, I did a lot of research and it was, I, I had it in pretty good authority that the P. Metallica, in the very least, if kept a certain way, do pretty well in this situation. But I didn't say anything about the other species. And I said, as a matter of fact, some other people had set ones up with other species and it didn't go well. I know some breeders keep Pisolotheria together when they raise them and they keep they have a sack. They keep the sack together as they sell them out because it's easier and that they report that there isn't a lot of cannibalism. I wouldn't necessarily call it a communal setup like to just say, hey, look at all these beautiful spiders in here. They do it because it's easier than separating them all out. 
it's more something they're doing out of necessity than, hey, I want to set up a cool communal enclosure. So that's to be kept in mind. Yes, there's evidence that you can keep them together, what I call it, a real true communal, like what I see with the Balfour. Absolutely not. And I've tried to make that clear. So when I read this email, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I have never encouraged anybody to try to drop in differences. As a matter of fact, I thought I'd made it very clear over the past couple of years that if you're going to try one of these communals with Pisolotheria, you're you basically create a situation where they're forced to live together. And the best way to do it is to start with slings that are the same size and that haven't been separated previously. That seems to be the best bet if you want to have any success at keeping a Pisolotheria communal. I don't know where they got the idea from that I've never said drop babies in with them. That's ridiculous. What you do end up with sometimes, and this is what happened with the Pisolotheria metallicas, is that I ended up with the larger specimens are like four and a half, five inches, and I still have ones that haven't even reached two inches yet. You do get the quote-unquote runts, but I've never, ever, ever encouraged people to drop them in. And then when I went back and said, hey, not a good idea, you know, there it, it doesn't work that way, here are some of the rules, his response was, well, I'll try it out and see what happens, and that way people will know. Oh, no, that stuff drives me absolutely nuts. It's like we know we have enough information out here to recognize that doesn't work. There's a reason why when people talk about Pisolotheria communals, they say to start with slings the same size. There's a reason why they've over the years said that it works best when you just take a sack and let them grow up together. They seem to be more tolerant of each other, especially when kind of, for lack of a better term, when they are crammed into a smaller environment. There is, as far as I know, nothing out there that says it's okay to drop a smaller one in, nor do we need to really try that because I think we all know where it's going to end up. And again, it's just, I struggle with when people do these little quote unquote experiments, which are stuff that we already know. Like any hobbyist that's been in the hobby for a while already knows this, but somebody gets in that's newer and decides, hey, I'm going to try this out. And we already know what the results are going to be. And it really kills me when they do it after saying, I listen to all your podcasts. I've watched all your videos on this. I'm going to do it anyway. Well, if you've really listened to my podcast on this and watched my videos, you know that I would be totally against it. Why would you even run it by me? I'm not going to be one that's going to be excited about it. So again, I'm left in this weird situation where I'm rooting for it to work only because I don't want that poor little spider to die. But in my mind, you know, when I apply logic to the situation, I realize that if that spider is to live, then somebody's going to report, hey, this works and other people are going to do it. And we all know it's not going to really work out in most instances. So just I, it's just one of those frustrating things. And again, I apologize for venting on it. But I mean, I've been doing this for a while and I tried, I pride myself on trying to be clear and thorough and everything. And when somebody apparently got, I, I mean, I worried that I inspired this. I think that's what it comes down to that somehow with my piece of Ethereum stuff, maybe he missed the video. Maybe he missed the point where I said I took out the little specimens. Maybe he missed the podcast where I mentioned that I think one of them might've been devoured again, not 100% sure yet, but I, it could be the case. I don't know what caused it. It wasn't even the same species, but whatever I did or said kind of led to this. So that kind of freaks me out sometimes because I'm thinking, all right, I can always be clearer. I can always get my point across in a better manner so that more people get the right message out of it. But every once in a while, something like this comes across my email or a message, and I'm just left scratching my head wondering what I did to inspire that type of thought process. I mean, again, I, I get people get in the hobby, they hear about the communals, they get excited about communals. There's If you look on the internet right now, if you look on YouTube, there are a lot of people doing like these giant communals with M. Balfour. It's being pushed to the point where, in my opinion, it's getting almost silly. 
but everybody's fascinated by them. So I get the fact that people are going to go out there and experiment, try different things. But if you do the research or God, if you're going to follow my channel, the idea of what I do is to kind of get that information to you, encapsulate, you go, look at, I've done the research. Here's what I found. If you're not going to listen to that, I don't know what else I can do. So anyway, sharing it only because it was very frustrating. It was very upsetting for me because the guy is not taking it out. Usually I've had people before go, Hey, I, I just bought three different pieces of Ethereum Metallicas from different places. Should I put them in together? And I've usually gone, no, I wouldn't do it. And they're like, Oh, okay, good. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. This wasn't one of those situations. This was somebody telling me I'm doing this and we're going to see how it goes. So again, I'm praying for the little guy, but I'm not holding out hope that it's going to go all that well. So that will do it for this one. Uh, As always, if you want to check out, again, if you want to check out the Keeper cards, I will put a link in the description of the podcast. You can also bop over to my YouTube channel if you really, if you're, only if you're interested, check them out and see the video I post up there, which I'm going to apologize right off the bat. We put the light on. There's a terrible glare at one point. Poor Billy was trying to keep the camera from catching the glare. So uh, once we get the new house, there's going to be things that are going to make this a lot better. But right now, we're still trying to do everything on the dining room table. And it's it's frustrating because I know how much better things are going to be when I actually have a, a good dedicated space to do all this stuff in. And I can leave lights set up and everything. But uh, a couple more weeks. But if you'd like to check out the cards, see what they look like, head over to my YouTube channel. As always, you can find me at TomsBeakSpires.com. Hopefully, I'll get this uh, B-Rupees Simaroxagorum article up again i just held it back because i was hoping to hear information from one of the people that discovered it but you know, i'm holding out hope maybe maybe this will maybe he'll hear this and he'll contact me i would love to clear that whole thing up so as always thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you guys all next time